This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Now, this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit shorter than normal, so don't get too excited, family. Uh, But it's something that I wanted to share from my heart, um, and I want to challenge you as we're going to go into a whole new sermon series in a moment, I'll, um, we can put it up there, being a good neighbor. I thought about uh, putting up that commercial, the, remember the Allstate commercial, uh, being a good neighbor, and, uh, but I chose not to do that and because it's time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and today will just kind of like be a pre, pre-beginning of the sermon series. It'll probably be about three to four weeks, and I'd like for us as a church to really, uh, really focus on this scripture as you go home. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, verse 37, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, that's not really in the text. There is no uh, text that actually says the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's just what the publishers and what people have put throughout the years as a title. So my title is Being a Good Neighbor. In verse 25, it says, On one occasion, the experts in the law stood up to test Jesus. So it's a parable. This is Jesus being tested. He says, Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now before I move on, um, we had a friend in our ministry. His name was Michael Engel. And Michael, for whatever reason, if you might be in Texas watching, I appreciate you and I love you, and contact us. I haven't talked to you in a while. But Michael Engel used to carry a cross, and he'd, uh, he, we used to carry crosses when I, back in the day when I was in college ministry, and, we'd, and I'd carry the cross, and, and I'd park it right in front of uh, the big Bullwinkles bar on, on, a Friday, on a Thursday night, and, um, and talk about... Uh, no social distancing. There was none of, none of that going on there. And, uh, but Michael also would take the, the, the cross uh, on the weekends on home football games. And so, who's, who's the parents of this, ch- this child? I'm just kidding. I love, love crying kids. You know Why? means there's life, and there's newness, and there's uh, infants, and I just love it. And I'm being serious. I'm not being, like, subtly trying to be funny or anything like that in a bad way. So Michael would carry a cross, and uh, he would go to right in front of the stadium during home game, and, and you could just, and I would be with the college students for having a pregame meal or something, and then we would come up. And we could see a crowd of people because you can't cross the, the, the roadway without the police telling you to cross. And so there was a crowd of people, and there he was preaching. And we would do this all the time. And then I would say to, uh, I would act like I'm a stranger, like, hey, hey, you. And Michael would see me, and he knew immediately, all right, let's play along. And he goes, what? I go, what must a man do to be saved? And so I kind of set it up, and he'd preach, you know, while people were stuck there for five minutes at the light. So anyway. I say that because when I see this scripture, it, it brings me back to that memory. 
So what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? I love Jesus. Asks a question with a question. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And we're gonna try to break that down in the next few weeks. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the, any extra expense that you might have. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And so I'm going to ask you, church, those you're watching, those you're sitting here, just look at that scripture and read over it over and over again. And we are going to try to unfold that, unpack that in the next few weeks. Before I start, I just want to maybe take a little uh, sideway uh, message here. Is that somebody asked me recently, uh, Pastor Mario, how do you fight uh, temptation? And, and, and if the enemy's you know, tempting you, what do you do? And I thought, well, okay, well, this would be a good time to answer it publicly. Now, I've, I think I have a, a PowerPoint here, WWSD, uh, to play off of what would Jesus do. You guys remember the bracelets? Raise your hand if you wore that bracelet. Yeah, amen. Me too. Uh, I, 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 wrote, I told him, I said, WWSD. What would, um, and I'm, I'm trying to not be funny, but I really would think this. What would Satan do? And so I began to ask myself in moments of high, intense uh, uh, temptations, I literally would go through an exercise and the Lord would just place it in my mind, what do you think the enemy wants me to do? Sometimes the, the, the thought of what would Jesus want to do may not uh, come into my mind, but then I would begin to think, what would the enemy want me to do? And that is a little insight in my life where it's helped me to ward off the enemy's temptations. And then I go through a process and I begin to think to myself, if I do this thing that I'm being tempted with, what will it look like in a year from now? What will it look like five years from now? And what will it look like 10 and 15 years from now? What will it look like? You know, um, 
as pastors, they tell us uh, never to touch money, uh, never to uh, be with people of the opposite sex, and all that kind of stuff, and it's really a lot of good wisdom. Um, and sometimes people will give financially, and I have to, uh, you, you process the money on the side, and sometimes people give coins. It's a rare thing, but sometimes people give like 37 cents, and I think, awesome, it's usually from a, a child. And, uh, and let me just tell you something, Try to deposit 37 cents at an automatic teller is not an easy task, right? Uh, I go to the one here down the street, Capital City Bank, and it's an automatic teller, and they, they don't take coins. You actually have to go inside to deposit coins. And so, what's Mari going to do? I got 37 cents sitting right there, and it's really not that big of an amount, do I just like put it in a, a little coin jar and just act like it never came through, or do I process it? And you think, it's just 37 cents, and I remember just being tempted, it's something simple as that, Marge, you're busy, 37 cents, what are you going to do with that? And so... If I can take 37 cents, that means I can take a dollar. And if I can take a dollar, that means I can take $10. If I can take $10, I can take 100 and you know what I'm going with. And so I begin to process, like, what will it look like? What would the enemy want to do? He would want me to take those 37 cents and just put it in a coin jar and use it for, you know, red eye down the street. Or what, would, what is the right thing to do that Jesus would want me to do is deposit that thing and even though... I have to get out of the car and go in. Why? Because I could, the Lord has helped me to see what it looks like a year from now, 10 years from now. If I can steal 37 cents, then I can steal a lot more down the road. I may not think today, but if I can do that, then I will. And so the enemy it tries to convince me that it's not that costly. And that's what he always does, right? He just tells you part of the price. He doesn't tell you the full price. And so I think to myself, what is the full price? What is the full price of listening to the enemy? What is the, and I begin, like, what is the full price? What is it going to do? And so uh, I ask constantly myself, what would my life be like in 10 years? What would it look like 20 years from now? See, uh, I don't know where I got this statement, but it's so true. The decisions I make today determine what kind of problems I'll have tomorrow. The decisions I make today will determine what kind of problems I'll have tomorrow. And so I get to choose today. I get to choose today what kind of problems I want to have. And so if I choose to take 37 cents, then I am choosing to have bigger problems down the road of temptation with money. But if I choose to do it correctly then my other problems will be, you know, which bank to go to. Do you see the, the difference of problems? And so the decisions I make today determine what kind of problems I want to have tomorrow. So if I eat garbage today, it will determine what kind of problems I choose to have down the road. If I don't do certain positive physical things, exercise, I am choosing what kind of problems I want to have tomorrow. And since my wife's not here, if I put too much salt, 
today, I'm choosing what kind of problems I want tomorrow, or sugar, or carbs, or TV viewing, just being bombarded with entertainment. I'm choosing today what kind of problems I want to have tomorrow. And so I'm praying that the Lord would begin to challenge us to live according to his plan and his purpose for your life. Back to, back, uh, back to WWJD. Jesus do. What would Jesus do? Now get this. In the early 1940s, the enemy decided to come down on the Christians and the people of China. And so he brought severe persecution on the church in the 30s and 40s. It is estimated that there were four million believers in China, and when the hammer of persecution came down on them, instead of crushing the church, guess what happened? The church exploded. They are saying today, on the low end, there are 25 million believers, Christians, to 100 million. They think the 100 million is a little uh, evangelistically speaking, but it's definitely more than 25 million. So if the enemy wants to crush the church, if he wants to crush the church, he attempted to do that in China by bringing the heavy hammer of persecution. What did that do? It actually had the opposite effect. So in 2020, like I said, about 25 to 100 million believers. Just short 70 years ago, only 4 million. So if you want to halt growth of the church, you don't do it that way. He doesn't want, the enemy does not want his church to grow. He wants it to die. He wants to take as many people with him as possible. He does not want the church to grow. He doesn't want you to grow. So the decisions you make today will determine what kind of Christian you'll be tomorrow. The, the decisions you make to follow Christ today have an effect on you tomorrow and five years from now and 10 years from now. So if you want to starve yourself of his word and, and, and of his is his fellowship and his spirit, what do you think is going to happen in five years from now? You'll just be a waif, spiritually speaking. You won't be this person of faith that we talked about in Psalms 112. Those who fear the Lord don't fear bad news. Because that person did the right things today because you know what tomorrow is going to bring. He prepares for tomorrow. So Satan is not going to come to the church here and crush us with persecution because persecution has this effect of spreading and growing. So what's the enemy going to do? So let's look at Europe. In 1930, in 1930, Europe, they say, was about 60% call themselves Christians of all of Europe. 60% call themselves Christians. And don't go to the next slide yet, but look what it says. This is an article that just came out. Europe's march towards a post-Christian society 
has been starkly illustrated by research showing that the majority of people in a dozen countries do not follow religion. The survey of 16 to 29-year-olds found that Czech Republic young people is the least religious country in Europe. 91% of the Czech Republic young people claim to have no religious affiliation. And it goes on between Estonia and Sweden and Netherlands. High numbers, like 91%. The Netherlands, the Dutch. That's where Christianity was sent from, to over here. And there, they're dead. But no persecution. It wasn't like China. Now, just so you know, the most religious country in Europe is Poland. Only uh, 80% of them consider themselves religious and Christian, mostly. But what's going on in Europe today? Let's look at that slide of 2010. At maximum, complete average of Europe, taking into account Poland's high numbers, the average is 25%, a loss of what, 35%, uh, 35, 45, 55, yes. A loss of 35% in the last 50, 60 years, a generation or two. How did that happen? It came from self-destruction, Christian against Christian. I can almost imagine the enemy sitting on a lounge chair at a pool watching it all unfold without him having to lift a finger. Christians against Christians. Christians who somehow identify with some political party are going to fight against this Christian who identifies with some other political party. And so the enemy just sits back. He doesn't have to do anything. Just watches, watches the church fight amongst each other. Seduction. Church has been seduced in Europe. You can't tell a difference between the Christian who watches the internet and the non-Christian who watches the internet. Matter of fact, statistically, they're saying in, it's worse among believers of the illegal, immoral content that you'll find on the internet. We are literally just sitting, he's just sitting back. He's got his sunglasses on. I could, it almost looks like uh, Tom Cruise at Risky Business, just laying back, watching it all unfold. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to bring the hammer of persecution. It's breaking apart Christians against Christians, self-destruction, lethargy, seduction. The church is playing checkers. I like this little video uh, picture here. But the enemy is playing chess with us. C.S. Lewis, in 1953, writes this. What is that, uh, 65 years ago? When you say about the present state of mankind is true, indeed it is worse than what is just stated. For they neglect not only the laws of Christ but even the laws of nature. Christians today, this is 1953, and he's talking about Europe. Christians today don't even blush at adultery. 
They don't blush at treachery or perjury. They don't blush at theft and other crimes, which I will not say Christian doctors, but pagan and barbarians have themselves denounced. It's British English, so it doesn't make sense, and it was the way it was written, but basically saying Christian doctors aren't even denouncing this. But the barbarians and pagans are. People are mistaken when they say the world is turning pagan again. This is what C.S. Lewis would say. I wish it, were, it, it was true. The truth is, we are falling into a much worse state. Post-Christian man is not the same as pre-Christian man. Just think of that statement. Post-Christian man is not the same as pre-Christian man. Look what he says here. Post-Christian man is not the same as pre-Christian man. He is far removed as a virgin is from a widow. And then this is what he finishes. There's a huge difference, a huge great difference between a spouse-to-be and a spouse-divorced. Think of it. There's a big difference between a, a spouse who's never been married to a spouse who's been divorced. And so we think somehow that the church here lost its bearings, lost its focus, lost its passion for Christ, lost its dedication, began to not think about the actions they were doing today, and they didn't worry about 10 years from now and 20 years from now. And if we just look at Europe, they're paying the price. They paid it through seduction, worldliness, Christians killing Christians. There are wars of Christians killing Christians and the enemy just sits back and sits back and he just watches it all unfold because at the end of the day, he's concerned about killing, stealing, and destroying. So what does it mean about Mosaic? What, what is all this? As we prepare with the, the Good Samaritan story, I pray that the decisions we make today are the decisions that we will be grateful for in five years and 10 years from now. The decisions how you live parents today will affect your kids. There's no other way around it. So don't get played. Anybody like being played? I don't, I don't like being played. Don't get played. Don't, don't for a second think your decisions today don't affect tomorrow. What you eat today doesn't affect tomorrow. What you eat spiritually, what you eat today, you don't think has an effect tomorrow. It does. Don't play checkers when the enemy's playing chess. Don't be a simpleton. Anybody want to be a simple, known as a simpleton? I don't want to be. I want to be pure. I want to be someone who's innocent, but I definitely don't want to be a simpleton. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. Wake up, family. Wake up, family. This little thing that's going on is just really, it's gonna, the dust is gonna settle, and we're gonna determine, the decisions we make today will determine what kind of church we are five years from now. You know what the biggest struggle is right now? <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody on YouTube. I promise, okay? Promise. 
and especially our Mosaic people, the numbers that are coming out, the research that is coming out, is the biggest threat to the church is people want to sit home in their pajamas. And the enemy's just literally sitting there and he's like, I didn't have to lift a finger. I just gotta, I just gotta allow them to be comfortable. Just let them be comfortable. Now, I know many of our families in our church aren't here because of the, the sickness. I get that, and I understand. But the challenge is going to be when the sickness might be gone, there's a vaccine or everything kind of settles down. The decisions we make today will determine what kind of church will be, not just Mosaic Church, but in the country. And we're going to have to fight the temptation of people just want to be lazy and Christ's church is still going to thrive, but it might thrive without us. And we'll just get fat and lazy, and then our children are not going to be serving the Lord because they didn't see it lived out, a life of faith. Anyway, so let's move on. So now for the good news. There, there really isn't right now. So, <laughs> Wake up, church. Don't be a simpleton. So the challenge for us, forgive, forgive. I don't know, if you're holding on to forgiveness, onto unforgiveness, God is telling you, let it go, forgive. Love the unlovable. That's what we're gonna get out of this sermon in the next few weeks. Love the unlovable. Don't just love people like you. Be poor in spirit. Have that posture of grace. God, if it weren't for you, mourn for your sins and the sins of, of our world. Be broken. Be meek. You don't have to lash out on social media. And I know that you guys don't. I'm talking about the other person. You don't have to do it. You don't have to lash out. What you could do is allow Jesus to flow through you in your social media post. One time I told a gentleman that uh, fellowshiped in our church, like, what do you want to be known for? And he's like, you know, and I said, I, I want to be known for someone who loved Jesus, not hated somebody or someone or a group, but loved Jesus. And so whatever I post, I'm... I'm, I'm trying to build a bridge so I can point to Jesus. When I post pictures on Insta, you know, Instagram or other places of my kids, my grandkids especially, I'm done with my kids, just my grandkids. <laughs> Feel like it's true. Uh, I'm trying to build a bridge. I, am, I promise you I'm not trying to say how awesome I am. My grandkids are perfect. But I want to give a picture of someone who's put their faith in the Lord. And has peace. Not Mario. Definitely not the Solaris. Being a Solari is like a dead weight taking you right straight to the bottom of the pit of hell. Seriously. Solaris need Jesus. I need Jesus. So it's not, it's not my heritage. It's not my family heritage. It's Jesus. So be broken. Meek. 
You don't have to lash out. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been starving? Starve for righteousness. Be merciful, church. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume the worst. Have you ever done that? Don't assume the worst. One time I, uh, I sent an email. This is when email was just started. And I had no clue that all caps was not good. <laughs> so, my, you know, like I was lazy and it's like, ah, I'm not going to press that button. I'll just keep typing, you know. And, man, they laid into me. Like, you were yelling at me. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Because it was all caps. Just give people the benefit of the doubt. That's what merciful is. Don't assume you know why people choose to do what they do. You know, be, be humble. Be hum- you know what a humble person says? If I would have lived their life, had their upbringing, had their social circle, had their temptations, had their circumstances, I'd probably do the same thing. Not that it's right, but I could see myself doing the same thing. Don't assume to know what the other person is going through. Don't judge quickly. Be pure, be holy, be innocent. Be a peacemaker. And we know that really means not the absence of tension, but it's a pursuit of healing and truth. And look up to those who, are, who stand for Jesus, who, who will kneel for Jesus, and who will pay the price for Jesus. My last slide is like, wake up, church. Everyone is watching. God is watching. The enemy's watching. Your neighbors are watching. Our children are watching. Wake up. So this morning, I just want to challenge you. From Luke, as we finish. Jesus says at the very end, he says this. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The decisions we make today, the decisions we make today will determine what kind of problems we'll have tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Lord, help us here at Mosaic Church to take your word seriously. Lord, help us to be ready to present the full gospel when we come in contact with someone who doesn't know you. Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you will give us to minister to our kids, to our family, to our neighbors, to those who are different than us, and those who are different are us. They is us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you're going to give us to be that person that you want us to be, to loving our neighbors. Lord, help us to wake up, Lord. Help us to not do what the enemy wants us to do. Help us to see down the road through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us bring conviction in our hearts because we know what we do today will determine what we face tomorrow. We love you, Father, and we thank you, and we say thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, 
And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, church. I pray that you um, will go back and read the scripture and, uh, and just really begin to meditate upon it. May the Lord be with you. He is risen. God bless you. We're dismissed. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.